in three, two, one. Hello there, I'm Derek. And I'm Jamie. And welcome to I Know You with Derek and Jamie, the podcast where two friends recommend theme content and try to predict the other's reaction to see who knows who better. We also always have a mini segment, which could be anything from our favorite top 10 list to exploring the evolution of someone in Hollywood or movie trailer reactions. The possibilities are endless. We also end each show with a mini game, so stick around for that. The theme for today's episode is... I will make you cry. We chose this theme because we both are kind of known for crying at films, especially (laughs) yours truly. So we just kind of wanted to see if we could recommend a film that will make the other cry. And my choice for this theme was The Hate You Give. The movie that I chose for this theme is Lion. And just a disclaimer before we jump in, there's spoilers for both of these movies in this podcast. So listen at your own risk unless you've seen them or you don't care, then just go ahead and listen to us talk about them. Are you okay? Uh, let's sneeze. Oh, good. No, we're good. We're good. Speaking of sneezing, what have you been up to, Derek? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. So for the past three, four days, I have had most likely a cold. No, I've just been like so stuffed up and had a sore throat for the past couple days and just been sneezing relentlessly yesterday was daylight savings we got to fall back get an extra hour of sleep yeah that was really nice that was so needed i needed that i woke up at like eight this morning and it felt so nice what about you what's been going on up in Asheville? um i can't remember the last update i gave on the apartment that we were supposed to be moving into there is no longer an apartment we're going to be moving into <laughs> where we initially just thought we were going. They indefinitely delayed it. And so we had to find somewhere else. And that is also a new construction place that we found. But this also has been delayed. Again, we're used to the delays. It's just super annoying. (laughs) Hopefully this will be the last delay and you guys can actually move in, you know, get in time for Christmas. I know. Sad. Very, very sad, which goes with our theme. (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of sad, let's get into some sad and dramatic movies, powerful movies. We're going to do mine first, which, as I said, is The Hate You Give. Uh, So before I get into the info, I'm going to give my guesses for what I think Jamie thought of The Hate You Give. So for objective competence, I think it's a well-made film. I think she'll agree. I think she's going to give it an A-. minus. For personal enjoyment, I think she's going to enjoy watching the film and enjoy what it has to say, but I don't think it's a film that she's really enjoyed watching the events of, so I'm going to say roughly a 6 out of 10. And for rewatchability, along the same lines, it's very powerful, it's a very good film, but it's not one you really want to go back to again and again and again. I'm going to say a 2 out of 5. So, directed by George Tillman Jr. and starring Amanda Stenberg, Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby, Issa Rae, Anthony Mackie, Sabrina Carpenter, Common, and Algie Smith. Based on the novel of the same name by Angie Thomas, The Hate You Give follows Star Carter after she witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend Khalil during a routine traffic stop. Now, facing pressure from all sides, Star must find her voice as tensions continue to grow throughout her community and stand up for what she believes is right. The Hate You Give was released in the fall of 2018, and although the film was only a modest box office success, grossing $34 million on a $20 $23 million budget, it received critical praise, especially for the lead performances of Amanda Sternberg and Russell Hornsby. So, Jamie, the hate you give, the first thing I want to ask, how did you feel about the opening scene? The parents giving the talk to their kids and not the sex talk, the talk that a lot of black parents have to give their kids 
about how to interact with the police so that they don't die. It really set the tone for the rest of the movie. It was a great choice to have that as the opener. I completely agree. It really just like, this is what you're, we're getting into in this film. This is the topics we're discussing. This is the themes we're going to have. Get ready for it. Like, it, it also really well establishes like the family in it too. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Like, it showed how caring the father was. Because I'm pretty sure she said this was the first talk. So they had more after this. But it showed them how young those kids were, especially the youngest sibling who was like a toddler at that point. Right. They have to know what to do at that age. And that's terrifying. That's horrible. Right. And the mother's reaction, she's like, you can't be too harsh. And the dad's like, no, they need to know this. Right. And I think, it again, it sets up that like the parents dynamic on kind of going throughout the film on like what Star should do, how should she should react kind of to what happens. Yeah. And then the film, like, again, goes straight into it and showing like stars, I don't want, like dual personality kind of. You got like Garden Heights star and then you have like school star. Yeah. Again, it just shows a great example of something this community has to face. They have to act like two different people to kind of be accepted. And even for her, I love how it shows she's like, both of these people aren't really her. Garden Heights star isn't the true star, but school star also isn't the true star. Like she has to kind of like perform for both communities. And she doesn't really feel like she can be herself. Yeah, it's sad that she has to be someone else all the time. She was never fully star. I will say that's kind of one of my criticisms. I wish we got like a scene of her being her kind of because I feel like she can be star around her family. That's like her one kind of safe haven is where she can be kind of herself. Yeah. You know, I think she also felt that around her friends, Khalil and the other best friend. And I can't remember her name now. Uh, Natasha. Natasha. Yes. They were like her also her kind of like safe area, like her safe zone of who she could really be like herself. And probably when she lost Natasha and then drifted away from Khalil is when she started to have to feel like I got to perform here and I got to perform here. I feel like after Khalil is murdered, then at first she withdraws into herself even more and she's Mm -hmm. less of star. But towards the end, when she is in the riot yelling at the police, I feel like that's when she starts to really decide who she is and who she wants to be. Right. Kind of like who who she's going to become and like who she wants to portray to like not only for herself, but for everyone else. Yeah. What did you think of her friends from the beginning before all the shit happens before you get the uh oh, my friends racist moments? Um, immediately, I knew that Haley was going to be a problem. Because she was very, what's the word I'm looking for? She appropriated a lot. Yeah. And and I kind of want to lump Chris in there as well. Because he kind of did the same thing. He like, well, somewhat like he was very into hip hop and stuff. I feel like he's more DJ, which isn't. I also just feel. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like when she said she's like, some people might say he's trying to act black. And then it cuts to him doing that dance in the hallway. And I'm like, Uh. that's the whitest (laughs) shit I've ever seen. Like, like, no, like he's just a goofy (laughs) kid who happens to like hip hop. Like, that's all that is. He wasn't acting like Haley was. And she, you could tell she was kind of amping it up when Star was around. Yeah. 
Yeah. So she felt more at ease to do that kind of stuff when Star was she around. She was like, I have the black friend. I can act like this. Right. Exactly. She goes from bad to worse to just terrible. Just terrible. Let's get into the moment, the shooting. Yeah. Like you can kind of tell when it's going to happen. Like they're in the car, like even when they pull over, like to just talk and stuff, you kind of feel like it might happen then. Like the cop might just pull up. I want to ask, like, was the actual like moment he got shot? Do you think that was telegraphed? Do you think like you knew exactly when it was going to happen? Or like, what were your thoughts on the whole yeah moment? I figured it was going to happen as soon as they got in the car running away from the house party where I guess a shooting happened at the house party or someone just shot a gun at the house party and they were driving away. But when they pulled over and they were talking, I was like, okay, they're not doing anything, but I was waiting for like a cop to pull up. And it was a really sweet moment, which sucks because it was such a sweet, lighthearted moment right before it happened. So you're like feeling good. Yeah. It's such an emotional switch where it's like Mm -hmm. you see these two friends reconnecting and I say they have great chemistry with each other. Oh, yeah. For what li- little, little screen time they get together, you really feel like these two people have known each other their whole lives and they get each other. And like you just like, oh, my gosh, they're actually reconnecting. And this is the one moment where you start to see Star be fully herself and then it's taken from her and you know taken from khalil as well yeah they got back on the road and started driving again and immediately got pulled over you know that's what's happening because you basically knew that's what was going to happen from the opening scene with the father talking about what to do when you get pulled over so as soon as that happened it star puts her hands on the front of the the dash Yeah. yeah Khalil doesn't like obviously you know he's going to die like that's the whole premise of the movie is of the movie right dealing with him being shot It's just you're waiting like the cop comes up and he talks to them and Khalil is like back talking the cop and you're like, stop, don't do that. Right. You're in that moment with Star. He shouldn't have to stop. But at the same time, you're like, just please just stop. I know you shouldn't have to, but please just it's not right that you have to. But just stop, please. You, you're going to get yourself killed. And I don't want that to happen. And you're just freaking out with Star the entire time. And she's just mm-hmm. uh, and it. I feel like that moment just creates such tension and dread. And then there's no warning for when the shots come. There's no hands up. There's no stop. There's no Hey, there's nothing. There's just the shots. Yeah, because Star dropped her phone because the police officer told her to not record even though that's like mm-hmm. illegal to do. And she's pulling all of this shit off the floorboard of his car, which is very right. realistic for like a 16-year-old oh, kid. Yeah. Realistic for a fucking me-year-old kid. She throws everything on the seat and he grabs the brush and the guilt that she must feel. Yeah, because like he's just reacting like, hey, why are you messing up my car? Like, what are you doing? Like, you're just throwing trash all over. Yeah, yeah. He's trying and to still just... act cool for her. He's still trying to be flirty and not let his guard down for her. I think he's yeah, partly trying to be like, hey, we're good it's fine for yeah, and partly for her and par- maybe partly for him because he's also like just a fucking kid you know yeah. he may think he's you know king shit because he's like dealing he's got money but he's still just a kid and the moment that really like fucking got me during that is when he got shot and star ran out to go get him to like try to help, to help him, him and the police officer puts her in handcuffs oh yeah that pissed me off and she's like he's dying like you have to do something and he's not it's, it's all Khalil. about protecting him at that moment then. 
that whole scene kind of shows is that it's just how shitty like it's a example of like the police training especially in this country that they're trained to be paranoid it's an us versus them kind of thing and like if they suspect that their life's in danger shoot first and then figure out what happened so after he gets shot he's like well i still gotta protect me so make sure we put her in handcuffs after that then make sure i find the weapon and then and then i'll call an ambulance once i know i'm completely safe it was so crazy that khalil was literally only in the movie for less than 10 minutes like he is the central focus of the film only behind star right and you learn so much about who he is from just that tiny bit that he's in he's such a sweet kid and nobody is perfect like you can't fault someone for their imperfections right and yet that's what the media did to this kid that's what the media and the cops like even when they interrogate star right after Mm -hmm. they're not asking about the officer at all they're not asking about like what actually happened they're asking about khalil's past like was he dealing drugs did you know like what why was he and stuff like that and you're just like that doesn't matter like he wasn't trying to like hurt the cop he wasn't trying to kill the cop that's the only thing that matters the film definitely focuses on like how this affects star and how it kind of like and like what star goes through at being like the only witness but also i think really well shows like how the community like what the community goes through after like an event like this people get angry people get upset rightfully so and like then there's fucking unrest and usually like the city or the town or whatever they'll just respond by throwing more police at the situation which never helps and like shit just gets out of hand which is exactly what happened back in 2020 oh yeah 100 percent. it was just that was like one of the first times in decades where it just erupted across the country and the media did the exact same thing yep with Floyd hasn't changed that, as this like hey he was on drugs look at it he was selling counterfeit $20 bill he's not the perfect man like no one cares that he was killed yeah and what do you think of when she goes to school and like everyone skips to have a quote-unquote protest for uh khalil i mean obviously i didn't like that because they were literally just getting out of class and the whole thing with Haley saying like oh we're gonna go protest and we're gonna do this for this kid who was killed out in garden heights but we're really getting an off day and she's like that's not right you shouldn't fucking use him as an excuse like if you want to like actually go protest like go protest find one of the protests and like do that like they protested out front of their school they like what are they protesting there like go to the police station go do something you know she freaks out then i'm like why is that not like the first sign of like just like fuck these friends like they they don't give a shit Haley, really so what did you think of the scene like i'm gonna say the two scenes that as we alluded to the uh uh-oh my friend's racist when they're watching the news report and she's like oh that that poor cop's family like like how like they must be going through so much right now that was very annoying like i said earlier the media just how they fucking dealt with it the differences between how people who were against police brutality and the people who were like cops lives matter too it's so annoying when Haley started talking about, oh, I feel so bad for that cop. Like his family doesn't deserve this. And you think Khalil's right. family deserved this? You think Khalil deserved to die? Right. They assume that the person who got shot is in the wrong because a cop shot him. Like, it, I think that's the mentality. This was like, if you're shot by a cop, you must have done something wrong. Yeah. And that's just a crazy mentality to have. And then you just ha- have like start when Star freaks out on her with the hairbrush. And she just completely breaks down, which shows like she shows how weak Haley is. I I, I don't want to. But yeah, I agree with the hairbrush incident and how she completely backed down and turned into such a fucking coward. 
in that situation. And she stopped being the the prep school star and was like, if this is how she wants to view black people, Star was like, I'll sh- give her what she thinks black people are. Yeah. And then that kind of goes with her uncle Carlos's um, like monologue or their talk. Yeah, that was tough because he is a black cop and his viewpoints were the same as any cop because that's how you're trained. Mm-hmm. He was trained because he's saying like, you don't know what it's going to be, so you got to react. And I think that, coupled with the actual shooting scene, like I said, shows how they're just so poorly trained that even a good cop in this system can fuck up and can just be wrong. It really shows that we just need to tweak it. We don't need to get rid of everything. We just need to change it. We just need to tweak it here and there, and it'll work for everyone instead of just white people. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Like when the uncle was talking and she asked him, what would you do in that situation? And he's like, when you think you see a weapon, you protect yourself and other people. And she's like, what if he was white? He would say, I would tell him to put his hands up. And if it was that scenario for everybody, that's, you know, that's what you want. Yeah, that's what you want. But the fact that he said he would shoot first and ask later with a black person, even though he is black. It just shows like that it's it's kind of like inbred in it's it's put in there by the training, by the culture of policing. So prom, did that come out of nowhere to you or is that just me? What do you mean? <laughs> like so prom, like I feel like prom was never mentioned until it was like and then there. she got a dress <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, OK, we're going prom now, I guess. OK. And I feel like in the book, it was probably addressed better. Maybe it was more written like, quote unquote, typical high school drama. So it also has like prom at the end and stuff. But this just didn't this just seemed to come out of nowhere. I don't know. Is that just me? Yeah, I kind of wish they addressed the time of year, because I feel like if you do, it was more in the second semester of school around March, right. April, then yeah, but they never really addressed when it was. Yeah, and the the, the timetables are a little... It doesn't say... Like, you know, it's probably like just like a couple days to weeks after yeah. it, but it's never fully addressed. So it's like, yeah, prom, I don't know. Prom just kind of threw out me. I'm like, that egg, it works. And like, but it just... Yeah, I don't know why they threw that in there. And it was such a good scene for Chris. Right. How he was like, I with you like i'm here for you i want to help i want to meet your family i want to be a part of the solution and i like how she had to explain to him and he understood it and didn't fight it when he's like i don't see color i don't like and she's like no that's that you can't say that you can't think that like yeah if you you don't don't see see color you don't see me you don't see me you're you're missing just a whole aspect and he's like oh and that it just clicks and he's like, OK, got it. Cool. Like, I yeah. see you. Let, let's do this together. And then I love Mav freaks out on him. I will say he was one of my I think my favorite character. You just see how much he cares for his family and how much he's willing to do like anything to protect him. Yeah. That thing. line that he said had the names of all of his kids and his wife on his arm. And he said, mm. these are my reasons to live. And these are my reasons to die. To die. Exactly. Like, that was so great. Like, he's such a great character. The fathering aspect of him is fantastic. The relationship he has with the mom is fantastic. Even though, mm-hmm. like, it took me a while to understand how Seven wasn't, yes. like, I will a say that wasn't brother. super <laughs> clear. Because it's his kid. So Seven is a half-brother to yeah. Star and uh, Sakani. So, okay, one more thing before we get into the climax. What did you think of Anthony Mackie? as king that really upset me because i love anthony mackie yes i'll say even though he did his best 
to play a drug lord and asshole and everything, I still looked at him and was like, Anthony Mackie. <laughs> I kind of agree. He He's not the most believable as like just this like hardcore drug kingpin kind of guy. And I just, I it, it was, I don't know, it was hard for me to believe. And he just didn't fully pull it off for me. You can't cast Anthony Mackie for these roles. He, I don't know if he's just doesn't have the talent to bring it through or it's just it's just his he face has is too, the face <laughs> his face is just so inviting and so charming he's just like hi and i'm just like man oh anthony what's i up? think once you play a good guy in the marvel universe it's you so hard to get past that. as a good guy and he's so like falcon in the mcu is such just like uh you love him yeah anthony mackie i think is just a big misstep for this film like they just needed to cast someone else yeah i don't know so the climax well before we get to the climax i just want to bring up two very silly things go ahead one of the things i didn't like is that the kids called the father daddy yeah i don't know if that's cultural or i think that is i think in some cultures it's just that that works it, it just they'd call him that like, I, I don't was love a it couple situations where you heard daddy like when seven's half sister like the one who's friends with star kenya yeah when they get the ride home with king and she calls him daddy at first i'm like okay yeah, that's i didn't weird. know that was her father it took me I a find- while that was again with the thing with seven where it took me a while to figure that out it took me a while to figure out that they were actually like trying to say dad just like yeah. father <laughs> they were just saying daddy i don't like children calling their father's daddy no in any regard any context it always just makes me feel weird i'm yeah. sorry <laughs> Yes. Oh, okay. What's the second one? The second one that I loved was how the dad was totally right about Harry Potter being about gangs. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like how they incorporated the Harry, Potter, Harry Potter into this movie was just out of the blue. But his gang theory, I fucking loved. I was like, hell yeah. Like fucking Hufflepuff, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I think that Harry Potter was supposed to come in and show kind of be like the real star because it kind of connects back to the kids and everything. And like, I don't want to, this is gonna be weird to say, but like, I guess Harry Potter isn't something is typically associated with like the black community kind of thing. So it's something that her friends and enjoy that's not necessarily popularized by their community. So I think it was kind of like, that's where Star lived. And that's like her memory of being Star. And then she really connected to that. And I like that it brought it up. And I like that at the end, you find that Khalil still had the wand, even though he said he didn't. Yeah, that was really sweet. So the climax you have them like realize that there's no indictment which i love them realizing it like it's not said they're all just in the car they see the protest happening they kind of just all look at their phone and then you just see them just kind of just yeah, get hit you know. chris goes i'm sorry and you just know what's happening and then she joins the protest and they get back up there and again you show like like the protest was go- like going fine until like they round the corner and the police show up and there's just a fucking like army of police officers right there like just ready to like you know looks like ready to like throw down and just the speech that she gives that's the moment that really hit me that 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 hit me the first time i saw this in the theaters that just uh it, it's such a powerful speech and i love their start of it where she can't she is like she tries to speak and she just can't really get the words out yeah but my main question about the climax is do you think it should have ended around the protest or do you like the little post climax climax at the store with sakani grabbing the gun from his dad pointing it at king the cops showing up pointing the guns at him 
like in that whole moment. What did you think of that moment? I think that was necessary. Okay. Because Why? of the title of the movie, The Hate You Give, that spells out thug and it's the Tupac thing and it talks about the infants who, who are affected by it. And so it comes full circle with that when Sakani grabs the gun and then Star is like, he is the one who we're trying to protect. Right. Like the children like are the ones the hate who we are- gave him is fucking over everyone. Kind exactly. Of so I think it needed to end there. It does need to show the aftermath of being gassed, a pepper spray gas that they got. Right. To show how a community comes together to help their people. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, I like that. How like pe- some people, because like they got them out of there, they were able to help them with the milk. And then it was more of their community who saw after the store got lit on fire. Yeah like went to help them and like was able to get them out and it shows like we learned this hugely during the 2020 riots for george floyd was a lot of people are like oh they're all like bad people who are in these riots they're all destroying property and oh yeah they go like oh the cities were burned down exactly (laughs) and this showed you that 99 percent of the people were community helping community people helping people and this showed their dad's store getting burned down was not a good person. And so the fact that one person makes it worse for the rest of the community sucks. But it needed to be shown that the guys in the truck helped those kids get out of there and took them to the store and rinsed their faces out. And then it showed the community coming and helping the kids get out of the store when it was on fire. And it's just, it needed to be done. You couldn't, if it had ended at the riots and it wouldn't have been a good ending okay i agree i think for me it's always the both times i watch it it's just kind of a weird transition it feels like you hit such a natural climax with her speech and then it kind of like goes longer because it didn't even end with the police and the guns it ended after that with like the rebuilding like monologue no i like that little bit like i like the resolution i feel like that's definitely needed it ends way more hopeful it's like yeah we're gonna rebuild the community's getting better king is gone like we got this so i have two last questions so who would you recommend this for and did you cry i'll do who i would recommend this for first all right I think this movie has a great lesson that everyone should learn. So I think this is a movie that everyone should see, whether you want to or not. I think it is appropriate for school, even though I feel like a lot of a lot of white parents. I don't want that no CRT in my school. (laughs) Exactly. But I think this is a lesson that everyone should learn and everyone should see the injustice that happens. It just I think it does a great job of exemplifying the issue America's facing right now. And then also how this issue not only affects the people it directly affects but the communities around it and it shows how like even good people will like try to defend it and work like their way to double back and defend the cops and stuff and i think it's just a great example i agree that like it should be shown to everyone and anyone who can watch it but then did you cry no (gasps) i got i got choked up and i got sad not at the parts that you would think like i got choked up more so not during the shooting because that was all quick and you're just stunned at how the cop is reacting exactly but there were parts later on when star is dealing with it where i got choked up but i didn't shed a tear you didn't shed a tear okay uh, i was the same until the clot until the protest until her speech that's when it hit me that's when it came out and it just starts and then yeah i think i got choked up and with the sakari grabbing his dad's gun and that okay. whole scene was where i got that choked moment. up. okay dang I guess I failed. I did not make you cry. (laughs) 
got me really close. Very, very got close. close. Like your eyes watered up, but no, nothing yeah. came out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's that's what I go by. Like, Cade will say I cried at a movie. So I'm like, no, 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 no. My eyes welled up. Nothing came out. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a difference. But let's remind everyone of my guesses. For objective competence, I guessed an A-. minus. I gave it an A-. minus. Hey! Like, I thought minus. it was done really well. The story, the technical bits of it most of the acting like i gave it an a minus because i think more of the side characters were pretty shitty at acting some of them were yeah yeah so that's why it went down to an a minus instead of an a but yeah overall pretty good movie um okay personal enjoyment six out of ten i gave it an eight out of ten i think it's Ah, a good lesson good movie really pulls at your heartstrings and it's just overall a lesson that everyone should learn dang i had it originally at a seven then i'm like ah maybe not maybe it's like okay i should have kept it at a seven Mm -hmm. all right and then rewatchability i guessed a two out of five i gave it a three out of five i feel like this is something that i'll go back to every once in a while Oh, yeah. This was something Katie did not want to watch with me again because we saw uh-huh. this in theaters when it came out. And she's like, that one was hard for me to watch and I didn't like it. And it was good, but I don't want to watch it again. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> that makes sense. But nice. OK, so I was off by three. Pretty close. I didn't make you cry. That's unfortunate. Oh, well, on to our next film. All right. So my suggestion is Lion and my guesses for Derek's rating for objective competence. I'm in about the same realm as him. I think he gave it an A minus for personal enjoyment. I think he gave it, I'm going to guess a seven and then rewatchability. I gave it a two. That's my guesses. So a quick info for this. It's a 2016 biographical film that stars Dev Patel, Sunny Pawar, Nicole Kidman, Devin Wayman, and Rooney Mara. It is based on the 2013 nonfiction book, A Long Way Home by Saru Bareilly. It received six Oscar nominations at the 89th Academy Awards, including Best Picture Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It was commercially successful, making $140 million worldwide, becoming one of the highest grossing Australian films of all time. The quick summary is five-year-old Saru gets lost on a train which takes him thousands of miles across India away from his home and family. Saru must learn to survive alone before ultimately being adopted by an Australian couple. 25 years later, armed with a handful of memories, his unwavering determination, and a revolutionary technology known as Google Earth, he sets out to find his lost family and finally return to his first home. So I watched this movie, I want to say when it came out, like this was something I saw and I was like, I have to see that. That looks fantastic. Plus Nicole Kidman's in it. And I love Nicole Kidman. Let's, I was going to start off asking if it made you cry, but we're doing that at the end. So let's start off with the beginning of the movie when Saru is with Gadu, like when he's with his brother. Okay. Yes. How did that relationship and like seeing these little kids, because they're both kids doing what they're doing, like they were climbing on top of a train collecting coal what were your thoughts with that it really set up obviously like their situation and stuff but it also again it set up this loving family yeah and you could tell that this family of Gadu, saru a mother and sister i can't remember their names you only know his mom is mom really mom. Okay. Like you see this loving family and you really see the bond between Gadu and Saru. Yeah. And like, I think that's what really sets this film up and really like is the linchpin of this film is that you see this connection that, that these two brothers have. And without that, I don't think you'd feel as strongly as you do when he's searching for when he's like they have to know that i'm safe and everything and i will say i was not expecting this movie to go the way that it did i know i didn't see it when it came out obviously and i just kind of like thought about like the trailers and what it was and like i always 
thought that it was going to be like most of the film was going to be him searching for his old home. Like I thought that was going to be like two thirds of the film and there was going to be drama between him and Nicole Kidman as his adoptive mom and stuff. But he doesn't really meet Nicole Kidman until at least halfway into the film. It's a very linear film. Right. I was not expecting that. I guess I was expecting more like the first like yeah the first kind of 20-30 minutes was just going to be like the setup of how we got lost and how we got adopted and then like you're going to see a little bit of his home life and then you're going to see then you probably have the jabuli i can't remember what it was called those little fried oh yeah jalebis that like i thought that scene was going to come much earlier on that like that, that kind of like kick-started his memories and everything mm. but yeah back to the opening the opening took its time in setting up this relationship and setting up like where they're at that you knew that okay it wasn't just going to be like He's here, he's gone, and now he's trying to find his way back that it's taking its time. And it's just heartbreaking when, like, like he gets on the train and he's just trying to get off and, like, there's people there. And he's, like, just yelling at them to help and help and anything. And there's, like, either there's nothing they can do or they just don't care because they see it all the time and they're just kind of numb to it. hell out of me, like... When he fell asleep on the train, you obviously know something's wrong at that point. But how did no one check the train cars and people at the stations not give him any attention? And even when he got off the train, he's trying to get help and no one helps him. That just bugged me. And I know that like towards the end, they were like, we're doing our best to help lost children in India. And I guess it's stuff that happens in India. But that just was so frustrating. It's terrible to see that it's a common occurrence. And I think especially as Americans, we tried not to think about that. Unfortunately, we just kind of like, hey, like, yeah, no, everyone's kind of good all over the world, whatever. But like, there's just so many issues that we're just not aware of where it's, yeah, over there, lost kids are such an issue and such commonplace thing that they're just numb to it. And it's kind of like the same over here with like homelessness. In some cities, it's such an issue. People are just numb to it. They just ignore it. They just don't care about it. Yeah, it's just whatever. Back to the brothers. So I love that you really get the sense of Saru and his older brother, Gadu. Like, I love that. And I feel like that taught Saru how to be a good brother for his adoptive brother, too. Like, that's why he's so protective of his adoptive brother later in the film is because he saw how Gadu was towards him. So he acted like that towards his adopted brother who had mental issues. Yeah, I wish we would have gotten more of Mantosh and Saru together. I wish we could have seen them more as children. Yeah. But when they became adults, Mantosh moved away and out to distance himself from his family because he didn't want to hurt them more than he already did. Like, that's what he told his brother. He's like, why do you think I moved out here? So I don't Mm -hmm. hurt them. But yeah, I wish I had seen them more as kids. I wish there was like a quick montage of them all growing up. But it just cuts from them being children age to 25 years later. The parents, I think they were great. Sue and John. Yeah. I love finding out more about them later in the film like how Nicole Kidman was like we could have kids that's not why we adopted we could have children we just chose not to because there's enough people on this planet and we want to help the ones who need help and I loved learning that yeah that's a very true point there are just there's just too many people on the planet already you know yeah we don't need more (laughs) but about Nicole Kidman there's one moment the first time you actually see like they meet and they open the door and Nicole Kidman sitting there I let out a really big like snort laugh just because of her hair (laughs) 
It was just the like 80s, the, man. The Annie wig of a hair she was wearing. And Katie was like, don't laugh. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It, it got, and it's so red. And it, it I, yeah. I mean, it, it was character actors. So it had to be based on the real person who. Right, no, I get it. I get like it. That. I understand. It just got me. It was I just wasn't a little expecting out it. there. I will say, like, there's so many great shots in this film, and a lot of great editing and framing. One of the shots that I really loved was when they first go to the, he's getting the hotel management course. Yeah. And they're all in class just talking about it. And they ask him, what do you want to get from this course? And like, as they start to ask them that question, the camera cuts to Rooney Mara and like focuses on her. Or it's like yeah. shot from over his shoulder and then like it focuses on him and then it switches focus to on her. And I'm like, ah, that's what he wants to get from this course. I but see then what he does the funny from. answer of a buttload of money. What did you think of that relationship between from Saru and Lucy? I liked it. It was really believable. I liked how this movie didn't really need to tell you anything. Like it would make cuts and then and it showed them like living together and kissing and stuff. And then you just like, okay, they're a couple now. Like it didn't have to explain that it wasn't no clunky dialogue of like, can't believe it's been this long since we started dating or anything like that. Yeah, it was very straightforward and not focused on the romantic part of it because that's not what it was about. It was about Saru finding this group of people who opened up a memory for him and made him think like, maybe I should find them. Maybe I should know who I am because he's with all these Indian people who know so much about their culture and he hasn't been around that since he moved to Australia. So right. It needed to happen for him to be around this group. Lucy being in that was interesting because it had to have been a date, right? Like it had to have been like a group of people getting together and then yeah, starting ass- a date like right after that. I assume like, yeah, they were dating around that. I assume they started dating like after like the first course. I liked how they like kind of showed just like how his life was progressing. And it's just like this thing that kind of like. It, the fact that he was hanging out with other Indian people and they cooked this one dish that he and his brother used to talk about. And there was like, boom, bring back a memory. And not only just bring back a memory, it just floods him. And he just, yeah. it just flood of emotions just comes and he can barely handle it and just feels this absolute need to do something about it. I will say, though, I'm not sure if Rooney Mara was completely necessary after that point. Like, I feel like then I would have preferred, and then maybe this just isn't how it happened, and, you know, you can't change yeah. life for the film, but, like, I feel like it would have been, like, more, uh, like, unifying if we saw how this affected his relationships with his family more than with Lucy more, because I feel like we spent more time with how it affected him and Lucy than it affected, like, him and his family, you know? I feel like she stayed in it because of two reasons. One, because she was real in real life and they wrote her into the story. Two, because when you're that age and you're not living at home and you're not like constantly with your parents, you kind of grow apart from them. And this needed to show how his searching for his family was a downward spiral and Lucy was the closest thing to him at that point and you had to see how it affected that relationship and how he rejected her and pushed her away and was only focusing on this. Right. So I think that's why she stayed in the film is because you needed to see how it affected the person closest to him. Okay. I mean, yeah, I definitely get that. All right. Let's jump back to Kid Saru really quick. How did you think of that kid's acting? Oh, I thought he was great. 
He was so like, great. And that kid can fucking run. Oh my I mean, god, I, I know. <laughs> wish he didn't have to run for those reasons, but he was such a cute kid too, and funny. Like at the beginning of the film, when his brother is going off to do some more work, and he's like, "You're not strong enough," and he's like lifting a chair and a bike, and he's like, I "Look how that. strong I am." He's just like, "I can lift anything." He just starts lifting <laughs> shit. Just starts lifting random shit. Like I can look. I can lift this. I can lift this. I can lift this. I can lift anything. And then when he falls asleep on the train with Gadu and like he lays him on the bench, he's like, we got to go. And he's like, don't annoy me. I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> and it just shows you how much of a, he's even in this situation. He's still just a kid. Like He's he still can't, a little kid. He's still just a kid. And But he was very intuitive too. Like when he got the bad vibes from that lady who initially helped him and that dude who was like, oh, he's perfect for them. Right. Like they were creepy, immediately yeah. creepy. And he got that vibe and ran. Yeah, and just leaves. Yeah, and he was able to stay alive for a couple months before he met the guy from the cafe when he was mimicking him eating soup. Like, he was able to survive that long on his own as that age of a kid. He brings him, I guess, like, to the police or whatever, and yeah. then, like, gets in, like, an orphanage. But even that orphanage is still just, like, complete shit. Like, the kids are beat and, like, and still, like, just given off to people for the night and stuff. And you don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know what's gonna happen but you don't know know what's gonna happen and it's not until like the the woman who's just like yeah they don't like me here and I'm trying to help as many yeah. as I can. She's and- like, I'm helping kids and they don't like that I do that. The scene where he was talking to her, the social worker lady, he's like, we put your picture and your name out and millions of people read it and we got zero responses. And he was kind of trusting her, but he was distrusting a lot of adults at that point. And right. when like he heard about this family who wanted to adopt him and they gave him pictures and everything, when he walked away and turned around and said, did you really look for my mom? Him being a kid saying that, realizing that he's not going to see his mom. He's like, did you really search for her? And she's like, yes, we really did. And you just see his acceptance. He's like, okay. yeah, he, he just kind of has to accept like the acceptance that like, I'm not going to see her again. Yeah, I'm not going to go home. She's gone for five-year-old to like be able to comprehend that and have to go and have to comprehend that kid that young to just have have to and be able to understand that your mom's just gone that you like mm-hmm. even though she's not dead or anything that you're just not gonna see her that's just world chattering I, I don't know, I know how anyone can do that and how i guess he just had to lock it away he just had to push it down and just keep it locked away until it was forcibly brought back up and this is like a good movie to for people who have young children to be like hey make sure when your children can start to like speak coherent sentences that they know their full name they know their full town they know their parents names like that's a very important thing because the whole thing with saru is that he did not even say his name correctly he didn't know his mom's name and he didn't know the proper name of the town like he knew ganesh tali that's how he said it. it was all one word to him and and instead of it was like Ganesh Tale. Yeah. It was so crazy when he figured that out. And, and he's like, I've been saying my name wrong my whole life. <laughs> yeah. And I like how we knew I love because it shows this in the opening shots with like the bird's eye view of like the path to his home and stuff. Yeah. And you're showing like how those like those were ingrained in him. Like that was just running that like every single day. He knew right. where that was. And when he was looking on Google Earth, he saw that. And it sucked that like adult Saru wasn't looking far enough because in the scene where kid Saru is on the train, it says he traveled 1600 kilometers. But when he's looking right. for 
the train station, he's only looking 1,200 kilometers outside of it. Right. That was kind of frustrating when I'm like, dude, no, you're you're, you're so just, off. <laughs> all right. Like, he just, he didn't even realize how long he was on that train. Yeah, I know. Like, he knew so little. And to know so little and still be able to make his way back, it's crazy. And it's also great, like, him finding his mom. Let's jump to the end of the movie. So, like I just said, he did find his hometown on Google Earth, and he went there. Like, he went to find his mom and initially you see him like get to india he's in his hotel and he's like i'm i'm not gonna sleep i'm gonna go out and find find them i'm gonna figure out where he is and he's like seeing all these landmarks where he used to be and where he was remembering like the bridges and the rivers and everything and he finally gets to the town and he's literally going in between the houses like he used to do as a little kid because that's the only way he knows exactly and when he got to his old house and you see goats in there what did you think you i kind of lost hope when i first saw it i was like oh no i didn't really lose hope i'm like she's probably still in the town yeah and then the guy is like there he's like can i help and he shows him the picture and he's like i'm saru i'm i used to live here he's like you used to live here and he sees his picture and the dude like immediately knows who he is because that whole town kind of knows who he is because the story was insane. Now the big thing when he he's walking and he sees his mom, that reunion was so sweet and authentic. Like the mom's grabbing his face and she's like, Saru, Saru. And like, it was so genuine and joyful. Like right. such a great moment for him to be like, I found them. Holy shit. I found them. Letting them know that I'm safe, that I'm okay. Yeah. that. You don't need to worry about me. He kept apologizing for it. And it's like, dude, it's not your fault. Like, it feels so bad. And how she was like, I never stopped looking for you. She's like, oh, if you only knew how much I'd searched for you. Back then, like, how much could someone from, like, a poor Indian village really do? Like, back in, like, the 80s. She couldn't read and write. So the newspaper wouldn't have been any help. And you also find out in that moment, he's like, where's Gadu? And they're like, he's not here. He's with God. And you're sad because you think, oh, he passed on within the past 25 years but the after that scene and it goes to black it says that good dude died the, the same, same night, night that saru went missing that he got hit by a train yeah then that, that just, was fucking heartbreaking that means the mom lost both of her kids that night yeah and she only know what happened to Gadu. She didn't know if Saru died or if he just You would just assume the worst happened. And I know. Especially after 25 years. That moment really hit me. And just you see him like and he like kind of reconnects with his sister who he like barely knows, just kind of remembers the name. When the, the film kind of like cuts and cuts to like the real life reunion and the videos of that and like the, the two moms meeting. Yeah. And it's crazy to think like they said, like his actual mom was kind of like didn't want to be his mom like she just wanted to know that he was safe and like understood that sue was his actual mom yeah the voicemail that saru leaves for his parents he's like she is so grateful for what you've done for me and that you've taken care of me and she knows that you are my mom right and then the cut to the like the real life sue meeting his real mom like that was so so sweet it really was it's such a happy feeling it's such a happy ending too yeah there's not a lot of light or happy moments in the film (laughs) well let's get to the last two questions all right who and how would you suggest this i would suggest this film to anyone who wants to watch a good film first and foremost Mm -hmm. like i don't think there's anything in here that would make people like really like get turned off by anything yeah i'd recommend this for people with i don't know like complicated family situations you know you know like two like 
divorced parents or like, you know, or if you're adopted, adopted something like, you know, something like that, like just a non-traditional kind of family thing. And just because it has a great message of like your family's kind of who you choose to have closest by to you and who you let into your life. Th- those two groups of people, which is pretty much everyone. Did you cry? If so, when? I did cry, <gasps> but only Success. at the end when he reunites with his mother. That's the same time I cried. I think I would have cried earlier on if it wasn't for the ads in this film. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> We watched this through like IMDb TV or Amazon Prime and it had ads and they were well placed. But sometimes it was just like it would hit have this really emotional moment that was maybe meant to sit for a second. And then I just hear like the Xbox sound or something (laughs) like I just hear like, go get him. And there's like a PlayStation 4 ad going on. I'm like, okay, what the hell? So I did cry. I probably would have cried more if it wasn't for the ads. That's the same part I cried. Like through the whole movie, I was like, man, I'm getting like really sad at parts and emotional, but I'm not crying. And I'm like, shoot, did I choose a good movie to cry at? And when the ending hit and he finds his mom and they're like grabbing each other's faces to make sure they're real. And I was just bawling. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sweet. Success. All right, let's get back to the ratings. So my guess for objective competence was an A minus. I gave it. An A. Yay! Thought it was a really well-made film, really well shot, well acted, well edited. I thought maybe Lucy could have been toned down, the family toned up a more, a couple things here and there. I wasn't expecting what, what I got, so maybe that affected it a little bit, but yeah. An A. Sweet. Personal enjoyment, I guessed a 7 out of 10. I gave it a 7 out of 10. You know, I, I don't, don't really want to say I enjoyed watching this film because yeah, I don't want to enjoy watching a little kid just go through hell for an hour and a half and then an adult go through like hell <laughs> trying to find his home for the next hour. But like I enjoy, I appreciated the film. I appreciated the story and I'm glad that it had such a happy ending for yeah. everyone. And so I gave it a 7. So rewatchability, I guessed a two out of five. Gave it a two out of five. Damn. I'm probably not going to jump back into this film that often, but if someone wants to, who hasn't seen it, wants to watch it or someone suggests it or really wants to watch it, I definitely wouldn't say no. That's what's up. So I believe that means you are the winner this week. Not only did you pick the film that made me cry and I picked one that didn't, you only were off by one. And I was off by three. I am the queen of crying. Like Derek, through this trying to find a film for him to suggest, this episode was so hard. Well, every time I suggested one, you're like, I'd seen it. I'd seen, seen it. it. I'd seen it. It's not on something. I'd seen it. I'd seen yeah. it. It's not on something. I'd seen it. <laughs> I'm uh. the queen of crying, which leads us into the actual queen of making you cry. Our mini segment. We'll get it to it second after our little song. Joy. Here in our mini segment, this is going to be the third time doing this. It's Evolution Of. And this week, it's Meryl Streep. Like Jamie said, the queen of crying. Both her on-screen crying and making audiences cry. I mean, she's just the queen in general. Is she, she not? Is. Like, she's Meryl fucking Streep, y'all. Mary Louise Streep. Mary Louise Streep. Is that her actual name? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. 
Well, I watched two documentaries and I, how did I not retain? Or they, maybe they just didn't even bring that up. I didn't really watch or anything that got into like her early like childhood or anything. The only things that I really know about her childhood was she wanted to be an opera singer when she was young yeah. and she took lessons and she performed opera. And then she was in cheerleading through school. Not to like throw her down or nothing, but like she's got a very kind of eh, a little bit of a boring story. Like in her like lead up, she just, you know, she kind of wanted to always be a performer. She went to school to become a performer she went to vassar and then got a master's in like performing arts at yale i believe yeah she showed them what she was working with she's like look i'm fucking talented and hollywood went yes you fucking are well it didn't really start like she didn't perform for acting until she was in vassar like she never did acting before she was in vassar and then she did that and her teacher was like i don't think anyone ever taught meryl acting i she really taught herself which is a huge thing because then she went to yale and she decided to pursue acting and while she was in Yale, she was in so many stage productions that she was so exhausted and stressed that she thought about dropping out of acting and changing her major to law. Oh, gee. Which I could not imagine not having Meryl Streep in my life. <laughs> wait, wait. We would still have her. She could be like Chief Justice Meryl Streep. I mean, yeah, she could have been on the Supreme Court for real. <laughs> come on. That'd be pretty fucking dope. But yeah, she is insanely talented. So I looked it up. She has 94 credits on IMDb starting in 1976 and I counted the ones that I've seen I've only seen 15 that's so much more than me I feel like I've always seen more that's a recurring theme in these evolutions of it's like we've seen so little of their work which is I mean yeah we've seen a little but this is a hell of a lot more than the past two evolutions we've done like Clint Eastwood I think I've only seen like one or two of his things and then Lakeith Stanfield again one or two of his things okay I just counted my I listed I had a list too I I've seen 11 yeah. Of her things, yeah. Which, two of which, though, I watched last night for the first time. <laughs> I watched two movies in the past, like, two weeks to watch Meryl Streep, but I've seen one of them, which was Julie and Julia, and then I saw a new one that I hadn't seen that I didn't think I was going to like, which was Florence Foster Jenkins. Is that the one where she's, like, a really bad singer? <laughs> yeah. It ended up being such a good fucking movie, and I recommend people seeing that. Like, Is Stanley Tucci in that movie? No, Hugh Grant. Ah, well, uh, okay. That's Stanley like, Tucci's <laughs> in Julie and Julia, and... And The Devil Wears Prada. Wears Prada. Yeah, I know. I watched. That's what. What that was one of them I watched last night was Devil Wears Prada. Never seen it before. It's, watched it. Well, she I will is say, so again, good. Another movie I, that was not what I expected. Didn't know that it was Emily Blunt until about like halfway into the film. How? I'm just. I don't know. I'm just sitting there and I'm like. <laughs> is that Emily Blunt? And Katie goes, yes, that's Emily Blunt. I'm like, S- I didn't know. I'm like, it didn't, I don't know. It just didn't click. And then two, I thought it was going to be like Anne Hathaway learns to become a little more like a little more business savvy and fashion savvy, you know, a little more like, you know, take charge and stuff. But Meryl Streep is going to learn how to open up and kind of like become a better person and be less demanding. Nope. Nope. Meryl Streep doesn't learn shit. She is the exact same person the entire time in that film. There's a five second moment where she starts to open up to Anne Hathaway at the end. (laughs) And that is it. I was like, at the end of the movie, I'm like, what the fuck was the point of that movie? Except to just go like, Meryl Streep runs a magazine and she's ruthless asshole who would throw her, her friend Stanley Tucci, who's amazing and I love him. And how do you throw Tucci under the bus like that at the end of the film? How do you throw Tucci under the bus like that? I was so upset with her. She did so good. Like, that was in the early, that was like 2006, I think. Yep. Since the early 2000s and getting middle-aged and older, she's done like a lot of character acting and really 
dives into the roles and becomes that person. And Anne Hathaway said during the set or on set of Devil War Prada that she stayed distance. Yeah. yeah. She kind of just like didn't want to be like all friends with Anne Hathaway because she knew it would be harder to act like Miranda Priestly. She's so great. And the world thinks she's great, too, because right. she she is the most Oscar nominated actor, male or female ever. I will say she's only won what? Two Oscars? She's I won three Oscars, three. but she's been nominated 21 times. I felt like she was like won so many more. I think it's just because she's been nominated so nominated many times. Nominated so often, you just assume that she's won just by the number. She should have won more than that. But in general, I looked it up. She has been nominated for awards 407 times and won 177 Jesus. awards for acting. So, like, she's almost like, you know, batting 500. About half the time she makes a movie, she wins an award for it. Gets nominated for an award and then wins. Yeah. So, you think she's won more Oscars because you've seen her win Globes and SAG Awards and right. all of that kind of stuff. What's the earliest film she was in that you've seen? For me, it's Kramer versus Kramer. That's one that I wanted to watch this past few weeks, but I didn't get to it. I had to watch that for a uh, screenwriting class in college. It's a really good film. If you don't know the story, I'm sure everyone does. It's Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffmore, Hoffmore, Hoffman get divorced. <laughs> and it's like Dustin Hoffman actually learning how to actually become like a decent father to his kid because he was kind of like a workaholic asshole beforehand and then Meryl Streep comes back into the film and she wants custody of the kid and then there's a court battle and it's Kramer versus Kramer and if you didn't know Meryl Streep was supposed to be kind of like an unlikable character in that film but because it was Meryl Streep so many people just sided with her even though the film obviously frames her as kind of like she leaves the she's family she's supposed because, to be the antagonist yeah. but it's Meryl fucking Streep and you're not gonna hate her she right. is able to do for that character like because I learned this from the documentaries the thing she was able to do for that character the people who wrote the screenplay were like I never thought about it that Which way i think just worked so much more because then it made like the court case so much more because like, you're like well i mean he should go with the dad because the dad's been working so hard with the kid and you love the dad and come on but it's meryl fucking street <laughs> and and she's just bringing it and she also just wants to be with her son and come on which that was her first oscar was for kramer versus kramer uh, for being the antagonist who's kind of a protagonist and she also won for sophie's choice and the iron lady which were both movies where she had to do accents so in sophie's choice she had to do a polish accent and then in the iron lady she had to do for margaret thatcher yeah like i refuse to watch sophie's choice because i know how much it'll make me fucking cry <laughs> i wanted to watch it for this but i just did not find the time i would have watched it last night but it just last night was not a Sad. I watch enough Sophie's sad movies. Choice. I needed some happy movies. <laughs> but to answer your question earlier, the earliest movie that I had seen her, I just looked it up, is Death Becomes Her. Oh, and that that's was another in one I've watched that I forgot. Yeah, that one's crazy. It's so her, funny. Her Goldie and Goldie Hawn. And uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah. That is one of the weirdest films I've ever seen in my life. I feel like, like she, that was the first comedy outrageous movie she really did. I feel like, yeah, like after that, she's like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And kind of like, and then from that moment on, she's just like, I'm going to do whatever films I want to fucking do. Some are going to be comedies. Some are going to be dramas. Some are going to be about me as like a middle-aged mom trying to be a punk rocker called <laughs> Ricky and the Flash. I don't know. I don't know how you like be Meryl Streep in this day, like today. Like 
The fact that she's 72 is insane. Right. She does not feel 72. She feels like at most like she's in. She's just perpetually in her like late 50s. I don't know. That's just what it feels like to me. I know. As a person, she is great, too. She's such a feminist and activist for equal rights and the stuff that she does for the community and who she is as a person. The fact that like when she wins awards and then they're talking to her afterwards and she's like, I'm going to go to the bar as soon as I'm done talking to the media. And she's like, talks about drinking and having a good time. And like, she seems like such a cool person, even though she's 72. I want to be best friends with Meryl Streep. (laughs) I think most people do. Have you seen a movie with her that you really just don't like the movie? The one I wanted to bring up. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's called It's Complicated. That's one of my favorite Meryl Streep movies. Oh, no. I love that movie. (laughs) Katie and I watched most of it last night. We got through like an hour and like 20 minutes of it. And then we checked and there was like 40 more minutes. And we're like, oh, my God, we can't do this. So we had to just like we just like fast forward to do the last 40 minutes and like stopped anytime we thought there was like an important conversation. I think that movie is so funny. That's one of my comfort movies is it's complicated. You know what Katie said the second we finished it? She's like, that movie wasn't very complicated. (laughs) I'm like, no, it really wasn't. It was just she was sleeping with her ex-husband and starting to date a new guy. And it was just such a weird film. Looking at her movies, I mean, I the ones that I've seen, there isn't one that I'm like, I didn't like that. There was a thing that I watched on YouTube. It was a funnier die where they were doing a lifetime movie trailer for Meryl like it was like Lifetime does the movies about people's lifetimes and they were like showing all the movies that they've done and they were like in their newest one Meryl and it had Christina Applegate playing Meryl Streep they were like critics agree that this was the worst choice they could have made for playing Meryl Streep and she's like (laughs) they showed Christina Applegate being in Kramer versus Kramer at the courtroom scene where she's like crying and doing everything and the director cuts he's like Meryl Meryl god damn it Meryl, oh my god, that was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I gotta watch that. That sounds good. You have to watch it. I'll put it in the link for the show notes too. You guys need to go watch it. But just wrapping up Meryl Streep, her lifetime of work is fantastic. The kinds of roles that she's done, do, the people, she's literally worked with like nearly everyone in Hollywood. We love All Meryl right. Streep. She's great. I might watch a couple more of her films yeah, in the next couple days. I need to watch more of her films in the future. All right. Which means it's time for our mini game. start off this week with uh, some mini games miss jamie so my mini game is five second rule five second rule the first one name three meryl street movies where she was nominated for an oscar but didn't win um oh god i'm just gonna start naming meryl street movies uh fantastic mr fox no uh doubt julie and julia uh the devil wears prada <laughs> You named three. <laughs> no, I got three? I'm pretty sure. You can't Let's... just name movies. <laughs> I can too just name movies. It's a five-second movie. You just got to blast through them. I just started naming the ones on my list. You said Fantastic Mr. Fox. She was not yes. nominated for Fantastic Mr. Fox. You said Julia and Julia. She was yep. nominated and did not win for Julia and Julia. I said Doubt. She was nominated and did not win for Doubt. 
And then I said, I don't think I said anything else. You said one more. I said, I said Devil Wears Prada. She was nominated and didn't win. Oh, that's technically three. Took you 12 <laughs> seconds, though. <laughs> I don't care. Still counts. All right, move on to the next one. <laughs> okay, this one's a really easy one. All right, here we go. Name three of the actors in Lion. Nicole Kidman, Dev Patel, Rooney Mara. There you go. Oh, 4.55. Oh! You did it! Okay. <laughs> Name three Harry Potter villains. Voldemort, Bellatrix Strange, Lucius Malfoy. I had it. I had you, it. You didn't you stop did it. it. I had it. I did. <laughs> I had it, but you didn't stop it. Boom. Boom. Got it. That's two out of three. That's pretty good. There we go. Now All right. your turn. <laughs> My mini games. Which mine are bad movie description. And I did. I'm pretty sure you've seen these three. And they're just sad movies. Sad crying films. Yes. And yeah. My kind of movie. (laughs) So number one. Two teens fall in love and then have a rushed wedding when fate steps in. So the rushed wedding is a big part of it. I believe so. Yes. I feel like the rushed wedding. That's the main part. Or that's like. Give me the decade that it came out in. Um, 2000s. Early or late early is this called bad movie descriptions or vague movie descriptions <laughs> well this one's more vague but that means it's a bad movie description a good movie description wouldn't be so vague now would it it's too vague i can't narrow it down a walk to remember oh that's stupid they didn't have to get married <laughs> well if they wanted to get married though they had to get ma- have a rushed wedding that, that was the point. All right. Number hey, here's number two. An aging celebrity helps a new and upcoming star get off the ground four times in a row. This one's kind of mean, but I like it. I think it's funny. An aging celebrity. Yep. Helps an up and coming celebrity get off the ground four yep. times. Four times in a row. Four times in a row. Four times. Just over oh, four like times. A, Whatever works. A star is born. It is a star is born. <laughs> <laughs> get it? Because that movie's been remade like four times. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. I thought that was funny. All right. And my last one. This movie follows a young couple as they start a family, have trouble staying in control of the family, and break down as they must watch one of their own get sick and die. Like Little Women? No. That would have been a good... I mean, that kind of works, but no. The Sister's Keeper? Nope. That describes so many movies, Derek. I know. <laughs> Decade. When did this come out? Uh, Again, I believe 2000s. 2000, yeah, 2008. I'll give you the full year. 2008. Say it again. This movie follows a young couple as they start a family, have trouble controlling their family, and break down as they watch one of their own get sick and die, and learn important life lessons along the way. Uh, I don't know. I purposely kept this one super vague. It's like an ultimate crying film that I think you told me I couldn't pick for you because you don't like to watch when this happens on screen. Is it Marley and Me? It is Marley and Me. <laughs> I can't watch dogs dying. People dying, fine. Dogs dying, no. And you guys, uh, I guess that's our show. This episode, we reviewed Lion and The Hate You Give, and the final score was tallied about who made who cry more, and I won! I made nah. Derek cry. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Does that bring you happiness that you know you made your friend cry? It brings you happiness to know that I can. Jamie. You're a sociopath. I am capable. All right, and we like to end each of our shows with a review. This week, my old buddy Kyle, old roommate Kyle, said that he enjoys listening to the podcast. It's like he's catching up with me without actually having to catch up with me, which is kind of nice, I think. Maybe, not really. He wanted to say he really liked our America episode. So please be like Kyle and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And maybe next week, 
week, you'll hear us talking about you. You can also write to us at our email, I know you DJ podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at I know you pod or at our personal Instagrams at Jamie Duro or at Big Freaking Geek. We're on Facebook. I know you with Derek and Jamie podcast. We're on Twitter. I know you podcast. That was cute. Oh, no, I gave her my call through the guy. <laughs> We're everywhere. You guys, we're getting towards the end. Send us suggestions for next season stuff. Like, do that yeah. over the next couple of months. Oh, we love to hear from you. We like to let you know what we are watching next episode. The movies are National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is found on HBO Max, and Die Hard, which can be found on IMDb TV or on Amazon Prime through IMDb TV. So let us know who you think suggested what and what your ratings are, as well as the theme, which I think it's pretty obvious this one. Pretty obvious. (laughs) I think you got it. Uh, We post our podcast every other Tuesday. So remember to come back and listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to I Know You with Derek and Jamie. Until next time, I'm Jamie. And I'm Derek. We cry a lot. (laughs) We we cry a lot. I cry a lot of film. It's a joke that Katie's family makes about me. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. We're going to go have a good cry. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs>